Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We have just last week begun uh, a new series. Uh, and as I, as I mentioned last week, I haven't yet decided whether we're going to do Genesis or Genesis 1 through 11 and then take a break. Uh, and my guess is we may do that. Um, but at any rate, uh, we'll be in Genesis at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 this morning, uh, we will uh, actually not even read an entire day's worth of work. Uh, We're going to read just uh, verses 26 through 31, the very end of Genesis 1. So let's stand as we read God's Word together. And then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Let's pray together. Our great God and our King, You tell us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from Your mouth. We ask that You would feed us now. Nourish us now by that Word. By Your grace, by Your Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts that we might see and know the truth. Sanctify us by the truth. Your Word is truth. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that You would teach us, that You would reprove us, correct us, train us in righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Through Christ we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. There's a a scene at the end of Prince Caspian. Let me rephrase that. It's not in the the movie. It's in the book. If you've only seen the movie, you're not familiar with this interaction between Aslan and Caspian. But at the end of the book, Prince Caspian, Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, Um, Aslan is sending Telmarine volunteers to earth. 
that's enough for the setting. That's enough for the context. Caspian volunteers to go and he uh, expresses his hope that he comes from a long line of brave men. It's his hope that he, that he gets back to um, being human, fully human man, earth creature, that, he, that his family line is, is a, an, an honorable one. To which Aslan the great lion replies this, You come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve. That is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. C.S. Lewis picks up on two very real truths about you and me in that one sentence that comes from Aslan, this, this great lion's mouth. He captures two realities, two truths, the first of which we find in this passage, the second of which we will find later. That man is indeed, that it is, it is an honor Honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar to say that we descend from Adam and Eve. To say that we descend from our first parents. The first human beings placed on the earth. How is that honor supposed to be understood? How is that that honor rooted in creation? We find that clearly in this passage. The honor of man is indicated first by His place in creation. I should have, and, and, and forgive me, I probably should have. Now that I'm at this point, we should have read the, the entire chapter. Okay, yes, that's a long time to stand, but you would, have, you would have heard the very thing I need you to have heard to recognize this. Something happens in verse 20. In fact, Actually, several things happen in verse 26 that have not yet happened in Genesis 1. It's, it's the first time that several things happen uh, in this one verse. And if you, if you just glance back through the chapter, you'll see that each day of creation takes about the same amount of time. There's one day, four I think it is, that's a little longer than the others so far. But what you notice when you get to this passage is that man, the creation of man, one creature, and it's not even a full day, mind you. We started in the middle of day six. I mean, creatures have already been created on day six. We, day six started in verse 24. We didn't even start there. We started only with the creation of mankind on the earth on day 6. And what you find is that verses 26 to 31 deal with the creation of one creature. Not one day, but one being. One creature. In other words, 
Moses slows down. You do this, don't you? When you're telling stories, when you're recounting the events of your day or you've been gone all week long and you come back from spring break and you're telling stories about the things that you've done, the things that you've seen, the things that have been going on. And when you get to really important parts or meaningful parts or the things that you really, really love the most or you want people to understand the best, you slow down. You you spend more time on it. You tell more detail. You give more information. Think of all the questions we have about the first five days of creation. But how did he... But what did that look like? Or or how did he do this? I mean, all all we're given is, and God said, let there be. And then you get some explanation of how in that day there was. That's the the pattern of the first five days of creation. There's each day, and God said, let there be. And at the end of the day, there was morning and evening the second day. And God said, let there be. And then there was a day. Let there be. Over and over and over again. And then we get to day six. And Moses slows down. He indicates, even in the way he tells the story of creation, that you and I are the pinnacle of that creation. There's honor in being a descendant of the Lord Adam and Lady Eve because... They are the pinnacle of all that God has made. You also see that in the fact that they're at the very end. It's six days of creation, six days of work, six days God labors to bring up... Labors. He simply spoke. Six days God labors to bring about creation. The seventh day He rests. We'll look at that, Lord willing, next Sunday. At the end of it all, Moses has saved the best for last, if you will. It's it's March Madness. I had to confess the other day. It's so lost on me. I, I, I don't watch basketball. I don't watch college basketball. I don't watch pro basketball. I don't watch Clemson basketball. Now, okay, we're bad. So I have that excuse. I just, I, I just don't get caught up. March to me is really just the time between the good stuff and the Masters. And then there's this March basketball season. You know, March Madness matters because you lose and you go home. And, and the whole goal of your season is to make sure you don't peak too early. You don't want to do like Clemson does and win a bunch of games in November and December and struggle to win more after that. We we peaked too early. Like, you know, game four. That's when we peak. (laughs) Moses doesn't peak too early in Genesis 1. He's only getting going when he gets to the creation of man, when he gets to the formation of of Adam and Eve on the earth. He's just getting to the best of all that he has to record, of all that he has to, to write down. 
It's all saved for the end. How do you know it's an honor to come from the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve? We see it in the place, man's place in creation. Notice, too, there's another thing that happens in verse 26 that hasn't happened yet. So far, everything that God has said has been a command. Let there be. Let the waters. Let the creatures. Let there be lights. Let the waters swarm with swarms. Everything God has said so far has been a command. In verse 26, He doesn't command, He consults. Did you notice? Instead of speaking directly to the creation in verse 26, let there be Adam, let there be man. It's instead this conversation. Let us make, let us, um, make man in our image, after our likeness. Notice there's this discussion. It's a, a conversation. And we have to sort of ask ourselves, who is us? Where did all of a sudden, everything that's been singular, how is there all of a sudden a plural? How is there all of a sudden an hour? There's our image. There's our likeness. Who is us? In some ways you're sort of asking, well, to whom would God go for counsel and advice? Isaiah 40 tells us. Nobody. You. Nobody gives advice and counsel to God. Job understood this. Nobody, nobody was there giving God advice at the time of creation. God's not consulting the angels here. Isaiah 40 asks, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? The answer, of course, is well, nobody. There was nobody there to give God advice on creation. You're getting a picture of an intra-Trinitarian conversation. There's a discussion within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, within the Godhead, within the Trinity, let us make man in our image. Nowhere else does God deliberate like that when He makes anything. We see the honor of man indicated by his place in creation. We also see the honor of man indicated by his person at creation. Do me a favor, glance through chapter 1 with me. Look at verse 11. Uh, almost to the end of the verse. Let, let the earth sprout with vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed. And here it is each according to its kind. Look at verse 21. So God cr created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves 
with which the waters swarm, here it is, according to their kinds. Verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, here it is, according to their kinds. Verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And the livestock, according to their kinds. You see over and over and over again. Each thing, plant and animal, every living creature, regardless of its kingdom, animal or plant, produces according to its kind. That's not what we get about man. In verse 26 and 27, God created man not according to its kind, but in His own image, in His own likeness. There's a sense in which God's created, I mean, man is created in God's kind. That we're created in God's own image. This, by the way, this, this truth, this fact ought to raise questions in your mind about the fall of man. Do you remember what Eve wanted? Do you remember what the fruit promised according to the serpent? You'll be like God. Adam and Eve were already as like God as they would ever be. They're created holy and righteous and perfect in His own image. Now, they're not gods. Please don't walk out of here reading that verse and think, oh, well, we're, I mean, we're practically the fourth person of the Trinity. Adam and Eve, it was, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Adam and Eve. Like, they were right up there with God. No, they're, they're still the creature. They're not the creator. They're still finite. They're still limited in, in space and time. And God is not. They're still different. Don't, don't hear me giving more than the passage gives them. So what does it mean to be in God's own image? What does it mean to be created in His likeness? You know, every time, um, if, you've, if you've ever spent any time reading uh, the, the Westminster Catechisms, larger or shorter, if you've ever uh, catechized your kids, if you've ever taught your kids the children's catechism, every time you ask the question, who is God? Everywhere you look, God is a spirit. And He doesn't have a body like men. Okay, He's a spirit. I've got this physical body. He's eternal and I'm not. I have a body He doesn't. We're bound by space and time. He's not how in the world am I supposed to reflect His image if we're that different? Well, notice verse 27. Immediately on the heels of creating man, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Notice the very next Sentence, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth." No other part of creation gets God's special command like we do. 
Nowhere else does God give His Word to creatures except to us. Nobody else gets. This, by the way, is we call it special revelation. It, it reveals God's will in a way that creation doesn't. Nobody else gets God's special revelation except man. We are hearers of God's law. We reflect His image in that we, we have access to His Word as His creatures, as hearers of His command. Notice, there's another way we reflect that image. And it's found in that command right there in verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. There's a a sense in which we are commanded to, to get married. To have fellowship with other people. Adam and Eve are created together. We're created and designed to be with people. We're created and designed to, to have fellowship and communion with others. You don't survive on your own. It's, it's horrible for you to live in a, a life of, of isolation. God didn't make man because, because he got lonely up there. You ever hear that? Why did God create people? Why? Because he got lonely up there. He, he created us because He needed us. He created us because He was lacking something. He cre- no, that, that's never, ever given to us in God's Word. He didn't create us because He was lacking something. He's always existed within the Trinity. We saw that back in verse 26. He's always had perfect mutual fellowship within the Trinity, within the Godhead. He's a God of love and of of fellowship and communion. We too are designed to have fellowship and communion with others. We're created for for fellowship. We can't, you can't in one sermon list all the ways that that being created in God's image all the things that that means. You can't do that in, in one setting. We can't do that here. We'd be here the rest of the day. The point is, He's given us, He's communicated to us some of His attributes. And we live according to them. That we're to mirror God. We're sort of serve as a, as a mirror that reflects God's character back to Him and to the world around us. There are parts of His character that you and I are supposed to have. There are parts of His character we can't have. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We are none of those things. But He is wise and loving, and we too should learn and love. But we also reflect His image in our design. We're designed to be rulers on and over creation. We see the honor of man indicated by His place in creation, by His person at creation, but we also see the honor of man indicated by His purpose in creation. In God's providence this morning, I was sitting at a stoplight, I, I, I came really close to getting out and running up to the guy. 
knowing that this illustration was going to be in this sermon. The license plate. He was a veteran, and the license plate said, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Fourteen years ago tomorrow, Operation Iraqi Freedom began. March 20, 2003. You have, if you, if you don't remember anything else about that invasion, you have in your head, you have in your memory banks an image. It's a video of the statue of Saddam Hussein being torn down, being pulled over, being toppled off of its big stand. I have this vivid image of chains wrapped around this statue as Iraqis and American forces pulled this thing over in the middle of Ferdas Square in Baghdad. And, and somewhere along the way, I, I don't know whether the head came off when the statue toppled, or if they, after it toppled, if they sort of Goliath-like kept attacking to sever the head from the body. But the two were separated at some point during this event. Was that the end of the military campaign? No. Clearly not. It went on for quite some time. Was that the end of Saddam Hussein's reign in Iraq? Well, no, actually. Not technically. It essentially marked the end of it, but it wasn't the end of it. Why is that event so significant? I think the reason that that event matters so much, that that event is so vivid in our minds, has to do with what statues even do. What they're for. Why they even exist. That statue is intended to indicate the ruler who rules over this land. You know this. We, of course, equate this with tyrants. Lenin, Stalin, Hussein, people of, of that sort. Wherever their, their, their country is, whatever land over which they rule, whatever people call them king or ruler or master or whatever, their statue, their image, their painting will be hanging, will be standing somewhere in that town. And so there's a statue of Saddam Hussein in the middle of Baghdad, and it's, it's an indication that this is the image of the guy who rules here. This is the image of the guy who is in charge here. That's what you and I are supposed to do on the earth. Having been created in God's image, He then tells us, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth I want my image. I want my little image bearers everywhere on the earth as indication that that is where I rule, says God. God sends out our, his, his people. We're commanded to be fruitful and multiply in verse 28 because, because rulers put their image, their statue, their painting, whatever, 
anywhere that they rule. And God's design at creation is that Adam and Eve would scatter that image all over everywhere in creation. That as God's image bearers roam the earth from corner to corner and fill the earth, it's as as if God says, that is where I rule. Where my statue is, if you will, that is my land and territory. We're to command it. The purpose of man here at creation is to fill the earth with God's image bearers. But our purpose doesn't end there. It's not just be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There's a second part, a second purpose that you and I have at creation. Not only do we fill the earth, but we also subdue it and rule over it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. If you had come to the hooker house yesterday, you would have seen a bunch of people doing yard work. I think there's shame in the fact that we call it yard work. We weren't doing yard work. We were exercising dominion. We're telling the weeds who's boss. We're telling the the plants where you may grow. We're telling the grass where you're supposed to be and no further. We were exercising dominion over the little plot of earth that belongs to us. He's given us to fill the earth and then to subdue it and to have dominion over it, to rule over it as though He Himself were ruling over it. Now, he, he is, right? I mean, don't, don't hear me robbing God of His sovereignty. Don't hear me robbing God of His providence. But it's, it's, it's the Creator King who places His image bearers on the earth and says, now rule in My place. Subdue the earth as though in, in the way that I would. Govern creation in the way that I would. Subdue it in the way that I would. Turn to Psalm 8. Let me just show you a, a little glimpse of this. The psalmist, in praising God, praises God for choosing to create man with this purpose in mind. Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth! You have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, You have established strength because of Your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And here's the answer. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, 
all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Man is created with a purpose of filling the earth with God's image and ruling and reigning and subduing that creation in the way that He would. We're commanded to know God, to know how He rules, and to employ those attributes that He's given to us to rule and reign for His honor and glory. Our world has it upside down. We'll save the whale. We'll guard and protect the spotted owl. But babies you can murder to your heart's content. The world we live in has it completely upside down. Abortion, no problem. The redwood, the spotted owl, we have problems now. A man clearing his his land discovers an endangered colony of mice, of field mice, and is attacked for it. He could abort his child and be praised for it. We have it backwards. We live in a world that has it all upside down. This has all sorts of implications, by the way, right? This passage is not licensed to ignore limits when you dove hunt. This passage is not licensed to to ignore limits when you deer hunt. This isn't licensed to just scorch the earth and who cares? That's taking it too far. This has implications for how you love and treat your pet. You should have pets, probably. Dogs, because because cats. (laughs) This has implications for capital punishment. In fact, God Himself says as much in Genesis 9... After the flood, after sin has been rampant sin, has been, has been punished by the flood, Noah and his kids and their wives are off the boat and God says, um, you, you can't kill people. If you commit murder, you will be put to death. Because man is created in God's image. This has vast Vast implications. This, by the way, is actually the first great commission. Get married. Have children. Spread His image around the earth. Rule and subdue over the earth and the other creatures. The honor of man is indicated by his place in creation, his person at creation, and his purpose in creation. Some of you may be here this morning and needed that. Some of you may be here this morning thinking so lowly of yourself 
so down on yourself, such an imbalanced, improper, low view of yourself that you need to be reminded that you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve. And that is honor enough to raise the head of the lowest beggar. Be comforted and encouraged by this truth. Some of you may be here this morning with the exact opposite problem. You actually walk into the room and think, I'm really not here to worship Jesus. I'm going to worship me. I think that highly of myself. I think that I'm so great and wonderful that, that quite honestly, everyone should serve me. Everyone should do what I want them to do. Everyone should listen to me and do what I say. This passage reminds you of your rightful place. Not as the Creator, but as the creature. And therefore, subject to that Creator, to His power, to His wisdom, to His rule. It reminds us that we, yes, the pinnacle of creation, are still creation. And as such, the Creator deserves our worship and our praise. In many ways, the Lord's Day, this worship service each and every week, reminds us of that truth. Others of you look around the world and you're thinking, I don't see Genesis 1, 26-31. It's not out there. Jeff, you don't live in the world we live in. You can preach Genesis 1, 26-31 all you want, but that is not our world. We know, to quote Paul Harvey, we know the rest of the story. We know that that image has been marred, has been damaged. We look around and go, I don't see God's image anywhere. That's because it's been marred and damaged by sin. It's not gone. It's not absent. It's not removed. The image, if you take a mirror and you look in the mirror and you see yourself in the mirror, you see a a perfect reflection and image of yourself. Take your fist. No, don't take your fist. That's not smart. Take a hammer and hit that mirror. And as it spider webs and shatters and splinters and maybe even a couple of pieces fall out, now look at your image. That's what sin has done to the image of God in us. It's there. It's just marred and and not so clearly visible. Let me show you this. Turn to Genesis 5. And we will, Lord willing, get there eventually. Notice real quick the very beginning of Genesis 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Made male and female, He created them and He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, He fathered a son in His own likeness. That marred image of God. the, The image of God affected and tainted by sin has now been passed on to His descendants. That's the world you and I live in. Thus, we are both the poorest beggar 
and the greatest emperor. So what's our hope? Your hope is found, Colossians 1 tells us, in the one who is the perfect image of God, and yet who was willing to take on the likeness of men to do that which the first Adam could not. Christ is the eternal, perfect image of the invisible God, and and at the incarnation, He took on flesh after man's own image that He might redeem us, that He might deliver us, that He might accomplish that perfect obedience that God the Father demanded, that Adam failed so miserably. Your hope, my hope, Our hope is in Christ, the second Adam. The one who ordered the universe and will restore order to your life. Run to Christ, the one who created the world by the word of His power and who by His word will recreate us after His image. That's your hope. That, quite honestly, is your your destiny as redeemed creatures, a restoration of the image of God in us so that we, in the new creation, might rule with Christ and not fail. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you, by the word of your power, spoke and all things came into existence. You created us a little lower than the heavenly beings. The pinnacle of creation honored among all the creatures and those things created in the first six days of Genesis 1. Father, we pray that You would, by Your Word, at work in the hands of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit Himself, the One who hovered over the deep, even at creation, the One who who hovers and rules and reigns in and among us even now, use this Word to restore Your image in us. Through Christ we pray. Amen.